You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. That we choose to bring our tithes, to bring our offerings, to bring our gifts to you today, knowing that whatever we sow, that's what we're going to reap. And we sow into your kingdom, we sow into your ministry, we sow into the local church, knowing that we're going to reap a good reward that when we sow into God, we don't get bad rewards. When we sow into God, we only get good rewards. Because it says in the scriptures that you went about doing good, that you're a good God, and that you love us and you want to take care of us, Father. And so I thank you for those that are giving. I thank you that they bear and receive the harvest that they are sowing into. Father, I thank you for financial freedom in this church. Thank you for financial wisdom in this church. Father, I thank you for financial knowledge in this church. I think it says in your word in Deuteronomy that you have given us the power to obtain wealth. And so, Father, help us understand how to use and operate that power in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach to your people today. I thank you that you have prepared our hearts. You have brought us in here to hear a word from you today. Father, this world has tried to beat us up. It's tried to take us down. It's tried to cause confusion. It's tried to tear us apart. It's tried to do all these things over this last week. And we come here today like we're at a refueling station to get powered back up, to get refueled, to get re-energized, to go into next week victorious, to see your hand move in our lives next week, Father. So speak to us today and help us use it Monday through Saturday and use us to speak into people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Noah started school this week. He's now in second grade. He's like two grades away from graduating and moving out and getting married, I think. So he's in second grade. Maddie started teaching him on Monday. And he started in second grade in the books and the curriculum and the things that he's doing, reviewing and going back to the basics that he learned in first grade. It didn't start his second grade with talking and teaching him about the Pythagorean theorem. It didn't start with talking about the details of a cell and all of the planets. It went back to talking about what he learned in first grade. And sometimes you have to go back to the basics to understand what you've learned and to help you grow into the future. And sometimes when you go back to the basics, you find out that you didn't really understand the basics as best as you thought you did. And today and next Sunday, I've titled this kind of sermon series simply titled Back to the Basics. Back to the Basics, that there is something that we're going to talk about in regards to understanding the basics of Christianity. And if we understand those, then it'll help us as we grow into the future. But as we talk about what we're going to talk about today and tomorrow, you might find out that you might have misunderstood the basics. You might have found out that your previous teachers might have taught it incorrectly or you misunderstood it incorrectly. Sometimes it's taught correctly and then the way that we hear it through our filters makes us look at it in a whole different way. So today we're going to go back to... The basics of 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love him 
Because he first loved us. Amen. We loved him because he first loved us. If we're going to go back to the basics, we're going to start at the latter part of this scripture. Next week, we'll go to the first part of this scripture. That you need to know, remember, recognize, receive that God loves you. And then next week, we'll talk about how you love God. The reason I love God is because he first loved me, going back to the basics. And my prayer for you is going to be the same prayer that Paul prayed for a Gentile church in the church of Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, he's a prayer that he reads or he writes over the church because he's not there. And starting in verse 17 of Ephesians 3, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, says may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, verse 19, to know, my prayer for you today is the same prayer that he was praying years and years and decades ago, that you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Look back at Ephesians 3, verse 17. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you... He's not talking about the person to your left. He's not talking about the person to the right. He's not talking about me as the pastor, the most spiritual person you know. He's talking about you, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Everything revolves around you truly believing and receiving that God loves you. Paul says that you are to be rooted as a plant and grounded in the love of God. Now, in my yard... I don't have the perfect yard. I don't have yard of the month like my father-in-law does. Probably, <laughs> probably because of the weeds that are in my yard. It's very easy for me to walk around my yard and pull out a weed because the roots aren't that deep. The roots aren't dug in there. But if you drive by my house and you see me with my hands wrapped around the oak tree in my front yard or the big pecan trees around my yard or the sycamore trees in my yard and all you see is me doing this, there's no way that I'm going to be able to pull that tree up. I mean, I might. But more than likely, there's no way that I can go out to this tree right here, wrap my arms around it, and pull it up out of the ground just as easy as it would be for me to pull a dandelion with roots out of the ground because that tree is so rooted and so grounded in that place there's nothing that can cause it to not know that it is a tree this says that you need to be rooted and grounded in love verse 18 says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints once again this scripture is not talking about the most spiritual person you know. It's not talking about the person to the left. It's not talking about the person to the right. It's saying that you yourself have the ability to comprehend and receive the love of God with all the saints. There is nobody on this earth, on this planet, that cannot understand, that cannot receive, and that, that cannot walk in and experience the love of God. That you may comprehend 
with all the saints. And verse 19 says, to know the love of Christ. Now we know in 1 John 4, 8, I don't have it up there, but the second part of that scripture simply says that God is love. And for the most part, throughout the scriptures, wherever we see love, we can interchange that with the name of God. God is love. Love is God. So when I see the word love, I can put God in there and get another understanding, a new revelation of who God is and what love looks like. And it says that you need to be rooted and grounded in love or rooted and grounded in God, that you know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. The scripture says that when we know the love of God, look at verse 19, it says that you may be filled with all, not some, not just a little bit, but all the fullness of God. By simply going back to the basics, understanding, receiving, walking in the love of God, then you instantly have access to all the fullness of God. I think that's a pretty important truth that we need to go back to and remember as Christians who have been in this game for a long time. That when we go back to the basics of experiencing God's love, we have access to all the fullness of God. Of God, No ifs, ands, or buts. So the sooner we receive, we accept, we enjoy the love of God, the quicker we experience the fullness of God. So we're going to see how God loves you by reading and studying a story that if you've been in church, you've heard before. Jesus' interaction with a man by the name of Lazarus. And the book, the story is found in John chapter 11. And I don't have time to go through the whole story. You can read in your own time this week, John chapter 11. We're just going to be jumping in and out of scriptures and and talking and showing how Jesus interacts with this one person and how by him interacting with one human, we can see the revelation of how he wants to interact with you and with me in regards to receiving the love of God. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 5, says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, her sister's name is Mary, and Lazarus. Dropping down to verse 7, and after he had said this to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. You see, the sisters, Mary and Martha, had sent a letter to Jesus, sent something to Jesus saying, our brother Lazarus is sick and he needs you to come and minister to him. We need you to come and heal him. He's been doing ministry for a couple of years now. It is well known that Jesus is healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's casting out demons. He's ticking off the Pharisees. He's going out there and he's feeding the 5,000. He's going out there and doing all these miracles. And his close friends, Mary, Martha, and his friend Lazarus, whom it says Jesus loves, send notes to him and say, come And hang out with us. Come and spend time with us because we need you to minister to Lazarus. And it says, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And then Jesus says, let's go to Judea again. One of the first truths that we're going to pull out of this is that God loves you. And he knows you by name. And he knows where you live. Psalms 139 and Jeremiah chapter 1, Isaiah 43 are all these different passages that remind us that God knew us before we were even in the womb. He formed us in the womb. He knows us by name. He knows where you live. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're going through. 
Scripture starts off, the story starts off by saying that Jesus loves these people. He calls them by name, and he knows where they live. They live in Judea, but they live in a city specifically called Bethany. He says, let's go there. Let's go to their house right where they're at. Before GPS was ever invented, before your phone was ever listening to you and throwing ads at you as soon as you talked about it, God didn't need GPS to find you. He knows where you are. He knows your name. The God of the universe, the same God who interacted with Adam and Eve and with Moses and Abraham and King David, the same God who created and placed Jesus here on this earth, who interacted with the disciples and with the Apostle Paul and all the great men and women who have come before us involved in ministry and pushing the kingdom of God forward, he knows you, where you're at, what you're doing, knows you by name, and he knows where you are, that he loves you and he wants to help you in this moment. Look at verse 8, dropping down to verse 8 of John chapter 11. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? You see, at this point, Jesus had done a really good job of ticking off the religious leaders. It seemed like every time he said something, they were looking to stone him. They were looking for reasons to kill him. They were not a fan of him. And eventually, they do kill him with the Romans. But there's an interesting truth here that we want to talk about today in regards to knowing that God puts himself in harm's way to get to you. As he's going back to go and minister to Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he's talking with them. The disciples ask, hey, don't you know that the, the people there, they want to kill you? Because the disciples, they weren't looking to die. The disciples thought that Jesus was coming to overthrow the Romans, that Jesus was coming to take care of the people that were enslaving them, that had overtaken them. And they thought that Jesus was going to set up a kingship, to set up and be a ruler of Jerusalem, just like King David. And they thought, because remember it says that they wanted to be the greatest. Remember they were always arguing about wanting to be the greatest. Remember James and John sent their mom to go talk to Jesus? How embarrassing is that? Hey mom, can you go... Can you go talk to the ruler and the creator of the universe and ask him if we can sit at his right and left hand, if we can be the ones that help him? And so then we see, I don't know if he's coming in or not, but if y'all want to open the door and help him in. So then we see, God bless you, brother. So then we See, the disciples have this understanding and this thinking that they are going to overtake the Romans and they are going to be princes of Jerusalem. They're going to take over the area. So they're not looking to die. They're not looking for that. They're, they're looking to live. They're looking to establish their kingdom. And they're trying to think of how we can enhance what we're doing and what's going on. And so we see 
Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, that we're going back to the place where, the, where these religious leaders want to stone him. That Jesus and God have constantly put themselves in harm's way to get to you, to get to me, and to help us in whatever's going on. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul is writing, and he says, Just as God chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundations of the world, that we should be, look at how he chose us before the foundation, not as sinners, not as somebody who should be condemned, not as somebody that he hates, not as somebody that he dislikes, that he decided to send his son at the beginning of time that we should be holy and without blame, look, before him in love. That he went in the middle of harm's way to come and find you in the middle of your situation, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of what's going on in your life, God decided that he was going to send his son. And now that Jesus is gone, he's going to send his spirit right into the middle of your situation in your life to help you because he loves you. He loves you. The disciples say, we don't need to go back and see Lazarus. We don't need to go back to Judea because they're trying to stone us. And Jesus says, that's exactly where I need to be. God made a choice before the foundations of the world to not run away from the cross. But he was trying to run as quick as he could to the cross so that he could help you, so that he could save you, so that he could heal you, so that he could restore you. God was doing everything he could to get from the garden to the cross and out of the tomb so that he could heal you and save you and restore you because he loves you. Going back to the basics, that God loves you. I don't know how many wrestling fans I have here of WWE, of The Rock, and John Cena, and Hulk Hogan, and all these guys. But in wrestling, there's a match called a doubles match, where there's two teams that come against each other. And there's two people in the ring fighting, and the other two people on those teams have to stay outside of the ropes until... Their partner taps their hand so that they can come in and fight the other guy. And so it's very dramatic when the person is fighting the other person. They get tired and they're getting beat up and they're doing everything they can to win, but they're not winning and they look back and they're reaching their hand out to their partner. And they do this slow crawl. If you've ever watched WWE, it's not dramatic at all. And they're reaching with their bare fingertips, and it barely touches. And as soon as they touch hands, the other person jumps in full of energy and just starts going to town and beating up. You see, for so many times throughout history, mankind has been fighting the devil. We've been fighting the world. We've been fighting and doing everything that we can, that we've been fighting the devil and the world in our lives, trying to do whatever we could do to overcome and to win. And God was there waiting, moving, doing what he could. And all we had to do was reach out to him, touch hands, and Jesus came in. And Jesus took the beating that you were supposed to take in the ring. He took the beating that you were supposed to endure by dying on the cross, taking stripes on his back, 
being hurt, being wounded, being forsaken. But it says in Colossians that he ultimately had the ultimate victory, making an open mockery of the devil and defeating him, kicking him in his teeth to bring you and me to victory because he loves you. Let's keep reading. John eleven fourteen. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. God is not someone who likes to beat around the bush if you've been serving him for any amount of time. You see, at first Jesus talks to the disciples and tells them that Lazarus is sleeping. The disciples, they go, well, if he's sleeping, that means he'll get better because sleep is the greatest medicine to help you feel better. And Jesus does not beat around the bush and he says plainly that Lazarus is dead. You see, God fully understands your situation and he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you in that situation and he wants to clearly put his finger on the situation that you're going through to help you, not to embarrass you, not to condemn you, but to restore you and to love you and bring you back into the relationship with him. Clearly, plainly, if you've been walking with God for any amount of time, we've all felt it before when we've done something, when something we've done that we shouldn't have done. And it seems like we come to church on Sunday and God removes everybody else out of the church and he just puts his finger right on you. How did the pastor know? Did my spouse call and tell him what, I need, what my spouse needed to hear? No, they usually don't. But it's God who's just putting his finger right on that situation. You need to forgive that person. You need to love that person. You need to do this. You need to stop doing this. Lazarus is dead. There's nothing that can be done outside of God showing up and helping. In Romans chapter 7 verse 18, Paul writes, and tell me if you know how he feels in Romans 7, 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the most part, humanity wants to do good. The will to do good is there. I want to do good. I want to be a good husband to my wife. I want to be a good parent to my children. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good family member. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good member of society. Inside of me and inside of you, we have that will where we want to do good. But Paul says, how to perform what is good, I, I don't do it. I want to do good, but I can't. I try to do good. I try to appease God. I try and read my Bible. I try and do all of these things, but it just doesn't work. Because in my flesh, there's nothing good. And God knows that. That's why God sent his son to take care of it. To help us, to heal us, to restore us. With the Holy Spirit's help, he can put his finger right on the issue or the problem that has been plaguing you for so long. He calls out the issue. He calls out the sin so that he can heal you with his love. Jesus shows up on the scene. Lazarus has been dead. They've had the ceremony. There's people that are there that are crying. 
They're still mourning. They're still weeping. They're still struggling. John chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Look at the question he poses to Martha. Do you believe this? Verse 27, and she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of, the, uh, the Son of God who is to come into this world. Going back to the basics is a question that Jesus is asking Martha. Is the same question that he's asking you today. Simply, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Before you die, you're going to have to answer this question. I hope you come across this question, and I hope you answer this question. Because after you're dead, whether you believe it or not, you will believe it then. It's too late. Martha is sad because her, her brother is gone. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes on me, they can live. Do you believe this? And so many people, in all reality, they don't believe it. They don't believe that God loves them. Because you deal with you on a daily basis. You look at yourself in the mirror. You see your imperfections. You're the one that has to take a shower with yourself. You see the good, the bad, the ugly. When there's nobody else around, you see your imperfections. And it's very hard for each and every one of us to truly step out and believe that the almighty God loves me. Well, I know he loves people. I know he loves the world. I know he loves all that. But going back to the basics that Jesus is asking you and me today, do you believe that I truly love you. Right now, in this moment, of whatever you're going through, do you believe that I love you and that I want to help you overcome everything that you're going through? Do you believe that God can resurrect you in your situation and bring you back to life? The beautiful, simple, glorious message of the gospel that Christ died for your sins. There are plenty of men and women who died for their own sins. We have the death penalty. When you do something wrong, there are consequences to those actions. But God sends his son, not the runt of the litter, not the last one in the family tree of God, but God sends his one, his only, his best gift to the earth to die for, yes, the sins of humanity, but he also dies for your sins. The ugliness that nobody else sees is what he died for for you because he loves you. He cares for you and he wants to resurrect your life and bring you back, not just to where you are, but he wants to bring you into a future that you've never seen before. In John chapter 11, 35 and 36, 
We're almost through the story. It says that Jesus wept. One of the shortest scriptures, definitely the shortest scripture in the Old Testament, if you're ever on Jeopardy, might be the shortest scripture in the whole Bible, but definitely in the Old Testament. Jesus wept. And then verse 36, the Jews' response when they see Jesus operating in emotion, it says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. That Jesus experiences emotions just like we experience emotions. And the reason that we experience emotions is because God experiences emotions. Jesus cries. Says in the scriptures in, that, that there are things that God hates. Says in the scriptures that God got angry. Paul receives a revelation where he says, be angry and don't sin. Because God gets angry. God gets mad, God gets happy, God smiles, God laughs. You don't think Jesus, with those 12 stinky, young, immature disciples, didn't laugh at those guys all the time? You've been around teenagers. You've been around young college-age guys. Think about Men, think about when you were a teenager and you were college-age guys, the things that you did and joked about and had fun with. Jesus laughs. Jesus cries. But Jesus isn't led by his emotions. Jesus responds through his emotions. He doesn't let his emotions dictate him. But the first things that the people see when Jesus is crying, they say, look at how much he loved Lazarus. And then they start questioning, well, why didn't Jesus do something? If he's done all these other miracles, why can't he do something? So then Jesus doesn't just stay in his emotions. He decides that he's going to do something about it. And he says, bring me to the tomb. He gets in front of the tomb in John chapter 11, verse 39. And Jesus commands, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. You see, God wants to help and get involved in your life and your situation to fix it, no matter the stench. He wants to love you and get in the middle of your mess. Yesterday, I was picking up all the trash in our house and going out to the dump. And it was probably 10, 11 o'clock at our house, and I'm tying up trash. And my daughter likes to now wake up at like 6.30 before the sun rises, and um, she, she likes to dirty her diaper pretty early in the morning. And we had put a dirty diaper in that trash can Saturday morning, and it was a couple of hours later that I'm going to tie that bag of trash. And I don't know what it is. I try and put a shirt over my nose. I try and hold my breath. But when you do that final tie on the trash can, it's like the devil himself throws one more little smell right into your nostrils. And that is a dirty diaper from a two-year-old baby that's only four hours old. Imagine as Jesus, who brings an entourage with him to see what he's about to do, and he says, roll away the stone, and she says, wait, there is four days worth of stench in that first little crack of opening 
what hit them first. Now imagine the stench of unforgiveness, of insecurity, of depression. Imagine the stench of pain, of sin cycle that has been affecting your life for years and years and years. And God, who loves you so much, doesn't mind the stench, wants to step in the middle of it to help heal it and restore it. He says, you don't need to smell like that anymore. You don't need to deal with that anymore. Let me help you. Let me heal you. It says in the scriptures that everywhere we go, it says we diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ with us. That everywhere you go, you are an agent of change and you can walk into a stinky situation in your family, in your friends, in your work environment, anywhere. And you can step in the middle of that stench and with God's help diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And he wants to do the same thing for you and for me. In Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That he loves us and sees us just as his son in the middle of the stench, in the middle of the law, in the middle of the world. He sends his son at the right moment to diffuse his fragrance throughout eternity for you and me to smell and encounter. That he wants to help you in your mess. Clean it up. Clean it out, not stay there, not deal with it, but overcome it simply because he loves you. Do you see how much things he has done just in this simple story to remind you that he loves you? Let's get to the end of the story. I know you're sitting on pins and needles to see what happens. John chapter 11, verse 43. Now, when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come forth. Verse 44, and when he, being Lazarus, who had died, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Just like he called Lazarus out of the grave, just like God, all the way back in Genesis 1, called Adam and Eve out of the bushes, He's calling you out of your stinky mess now because he simply loves you. And he doesn't want you to come out so that he can laugh at you, so that he can point his finger at you, so that he can call all the angels and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and say, look at him, look at her, she's such a loser, I can't believe she came to church I can't believe she's trying to read her Bible. I can't believe he's trying to pray and ask for me to answer. No, no, no. He's calling you out of that mess so that he can loose you and you can go forth into the future and the plan that he has for you because he loves you. And the last thing I have, hopefully this story beautifully shows and reminds you that God loves you. And Going back to the basics, you need to believe it, receive it, 
accept it and encounter it on a regular basis to help you get through life. But even as we read the story, I love how the Bible, we can read and understand something at the surface level. But if we keep diving and we keep digging and we keep looking at the scriptures, we can see the story play out in another fashion. I told you that Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in a town called Bethany. Bethany in the original text, in the original translation, it was about two miles from Jerusalem, and it means a house of depression or misery. Don't you love to live in that city? Wouldn't that be fun? A house of depression or misery. Let's look at the names of the three characters in our story. Martha's name means she was rebellious. That's a good name. Mary means their rebellion. But Lazarus' name means whom God helps. The whole story is wrapped up in the translations of these three names. That we are Mary and Martha. I am dealing with my own rebellion, my own sin, my own things that I was born into this world. This world itself, because of Adam and Eve, there is an overall rebellion that is taking over. And here I am in the middle of Bethany, in the middle of misery, in the middle of depression. But I'm also Lazarus, whom God helps. And I was dead, and I was in a tomb, and I was stinking, and I was all alone. And God showed up in the middle of my Bethany, in the middle of my depression, in the middle of my misery. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he loosed me, and he let me go from the misery and the depression of my life. And he set my feet on the solid rock and he rooted me and he grounded me in his love. And it forever changed me. It forever healed me. It forever restored me. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I have a biblical Bible name. It's because I simply believe the basics that God is love and that God loves me. That God loves you. And he wants to pull you out of your Bethany today. Whatever that situation is, whatever that misery and that depression is, whatever rebel you've been doing, he's here to help you and he's here to save you and he's here to restore you because he simply loves you. And when you receive that love, when you encounter that love, when you receive it, believe it, and accept it, then all the fullness of God is added to you. Next week, we're going to talk about the basics of loving God. Let's stand up as we get ready to go and head out. Hopefully this has blessed you. This week in your Bible study, read John chapter 11, the full story of Lazarus, and let God speak to you as well. Let him love on you as well. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for your peace. We thank you that in you is fullness of joy. Father, many of us here have been saved for many, many, many years. And Father, we need to go back to the basics and remember that you love us. That you love me. You love Jeremiah Paul Land. Born in 1986, born in Louisiana. Now lives here. You love me. You love me in this moment. That you love these people. 
that each and every person here is going through something in their life. They're walking through Bethany right now. There's a pain from their childhood. There's a frustration from a relationship that's causing them misery. It's causing them depression. They might even be acting like Mary and Martha and rebelling in some way. Rebelling against God, rebelling against their parents, rebelling against what they know is right. But today we're all Lazaruses. And Lazarus' name means whom God helps. And you want to help us today. So God, release, remind, pour out your love on your people today. Let them know that you love them for them right now in this moment. You're getting in the middle of the stink. You're getting in the middle of the death. You're getting in the middle of the frustration. And we're raising our hand and asking for you to tap in. I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this anymore. I can't keep dealing with this unforgiveness. I can't keep dealing with this struggle. I can't keep dealing with this sickness. I've been fighting and fighting and fighting. And I need you to tap in and take over and bring the victory to this thing. I release it and I let it go. And Jesus, call that out in us. Lazarus, come forth. Be loosed in the name of Jesus and be let go of your past. Be let go of that failure. Be let go of that misery. Be let go of that depression now in the name of Jesus and go forth into the future and the plan that he has for them. So, Father, release your love and heal them of that wound. Heal them of that misery and pour your love out upon them in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that they're healed. I thank you that they're whole. I thank you that they're the head and not the tail. I thank you that the favor of God surrounds them like the shield. I thank you that they are the temple of the Most High God. Everything they put their hands to prospers. I thank you that we are the shining light and we diffuse the fragrance of knowledge. It's not going to stink around us anymore. We're going to go out and we're going to change the atmosphere. We're going to change the surroundings in our house, in our work, in our vehicles, in our family's lives. We go out there and we release the love of God everywhere we go. Father, bless them, protect them, and cause them to prosper in everything they do and bring them back safely next Sunday. In Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you, and we love you as well. Take care, family. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.